Welcome, friends, to Historical AF. I'm Kina. I'm Dion. And I'm Mike Schubert. We are a historian and some special guests here to deliver some funny and morbid historical nuggets you never knew you needed in your ear holes. This is Games Part 2. I'm so excited you guys are here. I'm excited to be here. You wouldn't mind telling everybody who you are in your yeah. podcast like they don't know. <laughs> Look, there's a good chance. So I host a couple of podcasts. First one is Potterless, where I never read the Harry Potter books as a kid. So it's me going through the whole series for the first time as an adult books and the movies. And now we're going on to like spinoff and fan made stuff. Other shows I do are Horse, which is a basketball podcast that's about basketball, everything about it except for the sport. So we just talk about like drama beef between players social media stuff old stories from charles barkley in the 90s stuff like that and then the, starting in quarantine i launched a show called meddling adults where i host and two guests go head to head to try to solve children's mysteries and things like <laughs> brown scooby-doo nancy drew and then the winner brings home money for charity those are the three shows i work on right now and i have a new show that i'm working on very soon i don't know if we want to talk about that now or later but i've got a, a kickstarter launching for a new project oh wow yeah go ahead and talk about it now yeah so if you are listening to this episode between march 30th 2021 and april 30th 2021 it means that the kickstarter is live for a new podcast project that i am working on modern muckraker it's a show where I will be playing an over-the-top character, like a Stephen Colbert type that is like fully convinced that he is completing the world's most important journalism, like uncovering the hidden truths of pop culture's most burning questions. But these questions are things along the lines of, when should Spider-Man take the subway instead of... <laughs> <laughs> we would go very in depth to like find exact answers to these questions. So like for this point, and I would get interviews with like highly overqualified people. So talk with people at Marvel to understand Spider-Man, talk with physicists so that I know like how web swinging works and then talk with people that work at the MTA to know like exactly how fast trains go, how often they run, stuff like that. And then have a definitive answer at the end of like, he should take the subway weekdays after five, you know, to catch the uptown a or whatever it is. So I want to do these like intense deep dives, but the reason we're doing a Kickstarter is that this will take like a whole team. I want to have mm -hmm. writers and a sound designer and researchers, and I want to pay people up front because I'm sure we're all well aware that we've all done some sort of podcasting thing where you either don't get paid at all or you are significantly <laughs> underpaid. So if I'm going to do something, I don't want to do that. Thus, Kickstarter so that I can pay people what they're worth up front. So if you want to learn more about the show, check out the Kickstarter. You can go to modernmuck.com or bit.ly slash modernmuckraker. And then that'll take you to the Kickstarter page. That's incredible. That's such very a great cool. idea. Thank you. I'm very biased, but I think it's a very good idea, too. Uh, <laughs> it is. There's really nothing like it either. So that's really cool. Thank you. Yeah. So I'm just trying to bet on myself because we pitched it around and couldn't get anyone to bite. So I said... To hell with it. Let's do it ourselves and hopefully we can get funded so that we can make this happen. Man, you're busy. Busy dude. That's a lot of podcasting. <laughs> it's, it's too many. <laughs> <laughs> I'm exhausted with one. I can't imagine. I just show up. <laughs> <laughs> it's true. You guys might recognize Dion from the last episode you're on where you were talking about Queen Chris. Dina. No, uh, last episode I did was Madam Mustache. Oh, yeah, there was one before that. Madam Mustache. All right, so we want to jump into some Harry Potter. I see Dion is decked out in her robe. She's ready to go. Honestly, it's just really cold in here. I'm going to do this. I might as well go all in. Yes. We themed. I have my wands amongst nerds here. It's fine. Unfortunately, I'm not wearing any Harry Potter stuff. I promise I host a Harry Potter podcast. So I'm <laughs> okay. I was going to do Quidditch. And then I realized that we all get really bored with the description from the book because, well, there's not much and it doesn't make a whole lot of sense. Not at all. <laughs> I don't do sports, but I do understand that that sport in the book makes no sense. So I decided to do the real life Quidditch that people play, yeah. including my friends. <laughs> there you go. Right. One of whom was regional director for the Southwest. For the International oh, wow. Quidditch League. Really cool. That's awesome. Yeah. I will say, I have played Quidditch once, and it is hard. It is a full contact sport. Yeah, I've never been so exhausted in my life. I thought I was going to die. <laughs> so it was very strenuous. All right. So we all know there are seven players on each team. Three chasers, one keeper, two beaters, and one seeker. Four balls, one quaffle, two bludgers, one snitch. And then three hoops. So... 
I literally just paraphrased from the International Quidditch Association's rule book for 2020. Oh, I love that that's a thing that exists. It is 148 pages. <laughs> oh, wow. <laughs> I mean, I wonder if other sports rule books are just as long and maybe they're all, maybe this is like very normal, but that does sound like a lot of pages. <laughs> sense because there's a lot of shit you gotta fix because the quidditch in the books does not no clear thing though we've taken this board that doesn't have clear rules and we've made it clear rules thus we've added billion pages (laughs) (laughs) the international quidditch association is the international governing body for quidditch and supports quidditch development and competition worldwide i actually watched my friend compete against a team from australia here in la oh wow I just enjoyed this little part at the bottom of the paragraph. The IQA aims to lead and promote the sport of Quidditch by holding international sporting events, supporting other Quidditch groups, and by sharing Quidditch and its values of gender equity and inclusivity with a broader audience. That's nice. Yeah, they actually have a four maximum rule, which states that there may be no more than four players of the same gender on the pitch at one time, ensuring the sport is inclusive to all genders and that gender diversity is always maintained in the field of play. That's oh, cool. I also like that it's phrased in a way that is not crappy because I've been in co-ed yes. like in college or even post like my wife was in like a soccer league co-ed for work. They always frame it in the worst ways of like, you have to have yes. at least two girls. Like they always think it sounds so like as bad as wording. of <laughs> So there's about three pages on gender inclusivity and not once does it mention a gender. Oh, good. One way or the other. And then all of it says how the person chooses to identify well that's great it's nice you like to see that especially given the problems yeah <laughs> yeah when was this rule before <laughs> summer of 2020 because <laughs> nice work <laughs> Take 168 it. pages maybe it used to be 12 and then announcing <laughs> <laughs> rolling. what did uh, zoe call her karen Oh, yeah. Joanne Karen rolling. Yeah, Zoe is a TikToker <clears throat> who does fandoms for Harry Potter, and she's been on a roll with some bitching about JK. <laughs> a lot of people come to her to fit, so she's like, no, no, no. Yeah, yep. Ray Fines yesterday said he does oh, the vitriol yeah. for JK Rowling, which is pretty fun, seeing that he yeah. was was the villain. I wonder, <laughs> wonder if he could comprehend vitriol towards someone being bad, but I guess not Ralph. I didn't catch that. Jesus Christ. Yeah. You were a little busy yesterday. (laughs) Yeah, that's true. (laughs) You had your own villains to deal with. So each team is made up between seven and 21 players. You have to have at least seven players to play. Makes sense. So the four chasers wear a green headband on the field. The two beaters wear a black headband. And the seeker wears a yellow headband. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. And then a third party plays the snitch. (laughs) Love it. The snitch runner, which is my favorite thing about watching the game in real life. Yeah. My my college, I went to Rice and they were very, very into Quidditch. Like they used to compete in like the, the college nationals or whatever. And I never played, but I once hosted a Harry Potter themed party at the dorm building. I was in charge of like events for very silly since I knew nothing about Harry Potter, but I threw a Harry Potter party and we got the Quidditch <laughs> team to like play in our quad. And what I always enjoyed was that for their matches, because it was college, they would just get like a varsity cross country runner to be the snitch. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Very good endurance. So I always thought that was a fun element that they would bring into the mix. By the way, always fun to watch the snitch just tease everyone. Mm. Yeah. Because snitch floor for the first 18 minutes of the game where no one's allowed to grab the snitch mm. to oh, give yeah. them a chance to play. I, I remember that now. Yeah. Like chilling on the sidelines until 18 minutes. Hit. But every time I've gone to a match or a tournament, technically, They've done weird shit like hiding in the trees. Oh, that's fun. Like or like taking a super soaker and just shooting at the players on the field. <laughs> because it was like 108 degrees. So they're like, here, keep cool. That's very fun. I like it. Snitch gets to have a bit more fun on the field than everybody else. The snitch must be a standard tennis ball held within a sock. The sock as well. Like it must be a standard issue. there are actual rules it has to be like 23 centimeters <laughs> yeah, <it's... laughs> and then it must be attached to the shorts of the snitch okay yeah 
Is there rules a, that snitch has to wear gold, or is it just that the snitch that I saw play in college was very true to the bit and wore gold shorts and a gold top? So the rules technically just state they have to be wearing brightly colored clothes to make them easily identifiable. Most choose to go with the gold just because it's funny. It wouldn't be very fun if like there was an intense one where it was like a camo snitch. Like they were dressing <laughs> That would make it more believable. Like grease paint, everything. Oh, yeah. Yes. The whole, the whole yeah. I'd love to watch that. Be amazing. The Long Beach Quidditch team actually practices and plays about 15 minutes from me here. Oh, cool. In the before times, I would drive by and I'd just see a bunch of people on PVC pipes wrapped in uh, pool noodles running yeah. around the field. <laughs> I'm assuming you're going to get to the to the broom part soon because that is always confused me. <laughs> The regulation broom. <laughs> it is an entire chapter. <laughs> I believe that. Yeah. Incredible. Broom rules. Broom regulations, which is chapter two. <laughs> All players must in play must have the broom must consist of a rigid pole made of plastic. The pole must be between 98 and 102 centimeters long. This pole must have an outer diameter between 25 and 35 millimeters. If the ends of the pole are capped, the cap may be slightly exceed the 35 millimeters in diameter. Must not have splinters or sharp points. Must not be attached to the body, clothing, or other equipment of the player. Must not be reinforced by adding additional material. I wonder if chafing is a problem in, in the Quidditch community. Because you do have to run with it between your legs, right? Yeah. Clean up the thighs. <laughs> <laughs> well, they all tend to wear like the runner shorts underneath their like, gym shorts. Gotcha. Oh, compression that makes sense. Something. Yeah. Again, for the tackling purposes, it's probably a good thing because it is full contact. Well, there's yeah. I realized tackling was involved. Holy, it's yeah. not. It's not complete tackling. It is full body checking, gotcha. which ends in people just taking tumbles straight out of the pitch. <laughs> okay, makes sense. One second, let me actually share. So, speaking of the pitch, there it is. Oh wow! This is the outline of how the pitch is to be set up. Okay. Okay. Hmm. Everything is kept very specific in these rule books, which is nice. Nice contrast to the book. <laughs> mm -hmm. I like it. Matches run anywhere from 18 minutes. So somebody immediately gets a snitch mm -hmm. after the snitch floor is open, or it can go up to 40. They usually call it at 40. That's nice instead of five days. <laughs> it's true. <laughs> Technically, the match does end when you get the snitch. But the snitch is only worth 30 points as opposed to 150. Makes sense. Makes sense. And it, the quaffle is still worth 10. Okay. Yeah. I think that works. You can still win. <laughs> yeah. I mean, the, the long lasting thing that I've always said on podcasts or whatever about Quidditch is like, it's not, it's so close to being fine. It's just the snitch thing being 150 and ending the game is too much. So I've always said like, either the snitch should just end the game or only be worth 150 points and then have like, quarters or halves or time mm -hmm. or whatever. so yeah mm -hmm. 30 points and ending the game feels very fair because then you know if you're down by 40 you got to wait a little bit but that's mm -hmm. a strategy of trying to play keep away with the other seeker and then once your team gets that next quaffle score and you're within 30 then you go so yeah. i think that's nice i appreciate that they actually oh i don't know thought about how a sport should work <laughs> <laughs> exactly yes my biggest complaint has always been that, like, I've played sports all my life growing up. I love sports, and I think they're a great way to teach kids how to be nice to other people and, like, learn life lessons and work together and, and all this other stuff. And inherently in the book, Quidditch takes one position and makes it, like, vastly more important than all the others. And that is just so off to me. Like, it goes against everything about team sports when one person is inherently more important. Like, there's no other sport where there's, like, a strict structure of, like, this person is worth more. Like, no, you could have people that are better, but it's not, like, in built into the sport. So mm -hmm. I'm appreciative of Real Quidditch for getting rid of that and making it more of an even playing field. Mm -hmm. Yes, and making it more fun for everyone. Because, yeah. yeah. And inclusive, unlike the author. <laughs> You're uh, an important character. That's the, uh, <laughs> the barrier of entry. Yes. Do you have plot implications? Otherwise, you're the Hufflepuff uh, bludger. <laughs> or beater, sorry. Beater, yes. Most of the characters don't even get names. Mm -mm. And yet we hear about them once, at least once a book. Oh, well. <laughs> the, only per the only characters who will have names are the Seekers. Yeah. Okay, so the Quaffle will be made up of a volleyball, 
slightly oh. deflated so you can grab it. Okay. All right. Bludgers are usually dodgeballs. That makes sense. And of course, we talked about the snitch. <laughs> Be- do beaters have any sort of weapon, <laughs> like a bat, or do they like have special? Is there something that makes them special rather than just catching and throwing bludgers? No, but every time you get hit with the bludger, you get knocked out. Cool. Knockout effect. When a player is knocked out, it means they got hit by the bludger or they've been dismounted from their broom. Ah. Oh, I forgot about that part. Yeah. Yes. So every time they get hit, they have to run back to the hoops for their team and then they can return to position. They cannot interfere with play during this time. That makes sense. Yeah. So they basically run back to their hoops and reset themselves. (laughs) So it kind of gives the bludgers a function in the game. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So you took yeah. players out of the game, basically. And you've made them more tired because now they have to do even more. <laughs> yes. This is why I did not play team sports because I always stayed on one end of the field. <laughs> and I'm like, they're coming back eventually. I don't know why I have to follow them. <laughs> you be a goalie because you, you have to stay in particular confines. I did. And then I, I think in this one semester trying to play, I sprained my ankle twice and gave myself a concussion. <laughs> Oh, oh no! I am an epic failure at team sports. <laughs> oh. Did martial arts for ten years, oh. no injuries. Interesting. Cool. That is interesting. And by the way, to catch the snitch, you have to meet eleven criteria. <laughs> oh boy, that's a lot. <laughs> I thought it would just be like have have ball. I thought it would be a pretty, <laughs> pretty <laughs> one. <laughs> it's confirmed when all of the following are true. A seeker has detached the snitch from the snitch runner and holds sole possession of the snitch ball during the instant that it is separated from the snitch runner. The snitch ball was securely attached to the shorts of the snitch runner before the catch. The snitch runner was not down at the time of the catch. The catching seeker did not commit a foul, resulting in a back-to-hoops penalty. The catch did not occur between a foul resulting in a penalty card by any member of the catching team. And at the time, the card was given to the player. The catch did not occur between the catching team committing third bludger interference (laughs) and the time the penalty for the third bludger interference was administered. The snitch was not physically impeded by any game official or member of the catching team in any way that may have contributed to the catch. And then there are several addendums to that. The seeker was not knocked out at the time of the catch. Oh, (laughs) that one makes a lot of sense. Yep. The seekers did not simultaneously remove the snitch from the snitch runner, and the play was not stopped when the snitch was caught. Okay. Again, lots of rules. There is a lot of rules. They were all things that I was like, oh, yeah, like every time you mentioned one, I was like, I could imagine that happening and then an argument ensuing (laughs) (laughs) i appreciate that they have i mean i i also used to be a baseball umpire that was like my first job as a teenager and i had to go through like a month's worth of training and like baseball has a lot of very silly rules but like it's it's very normal for things to happen like this where here's what like thing a in baseball is here's 12 ways it can get messed up (laughs) so i i appreciate that they've gone through all of the like here's everything that can go wrong here's why you're not allowed to do them just in case pretty much and there is an entire section on referees <laughs> so much respect for Coda Trump. i know i don't know if you've ever interacted with <clears throat> sequoia from fanatical fix but she she hosts a, a fan fiction harry potter podcast and she was a quidditch referee i know for many years and gosh the not only the athleticism respect of having to run around all the yeah. time, but also like you got to worry about so many different types of people doing different types of infractions. You have to make sure the bludgers <laughs> are knocking people out properly. People aren't messing with the snitch. The quaffle scores are all legitimate. Like feels like uh, quite the endeavor for a referee. There's a lot to manage on the mm-hmm. field. That's very chaotic. Like I said, every time I've gone, it's been a tournament. <laughs> mm-hmm. So there are at least two to three games going on at the same time. And is it just one referee per game or do they sometimes have multiple? I believe there's multiple. Okay, good. I think there's one at each end. Oh, good. Because it's not a, it's not a huge field, but it is big enough, big enough that again, 14 people on the field at a time. Plus the snitch. (laughs) Yeah. It's enough to keep track of. Yeah. Lots of balls in the mix. A lot of balls. Yeah. Like I said, it is a full contact, so here's actually an image that I pulled from the rule book. Oh, dang. 
very rugby-esque. Yeah, it does look like rugby. So here's the 2018 World Cup Finals, USA versus Belgium. Ooh. Oh, I hope America won. I'll kind of skip to the play. So this is in Florence, Italy. Oh, <laughs> wow. My goodness. I mean, a way to travel the world, play Quidditch. Yep. Man, uh, running running with a, something between your legs just... <laughs> Comfortable. Oh wow! Oh, wow, that's like wow. very intense throwing. Yes. <laughs> Dang! I mean, we'll get like legit knocked out. <laughs> I'm sure somebody has. This. I've I've watched it happen. Oh wow! There's like a dog pile. Yep. <laughs> that's got to be even worse than a normal sport because you have a wooden stick too <laughs> as your plastic. Remember, the rules said uh, it had to be made of oh, plastic. I guess maybe better. <laughs> And then these are all, all the countries in red are all the countries that participate in the International Quidditch League. Wow. That's way more than I expected. There Dang. we go. Dang. That is my little introduction to real life Quidditch. Incredible. That is incredible. I used to run a teen center at a library. And so we had them come there and teach the teens how to do it one time. So cute. So cute. Yeah, they had the best time. I was the uh, seeker one time, and that sucked because I couldn't find the thing. <laughs> because they can hide, they can climb yes, trees, they can. they can do whatever they want, and it was really. There are hard. no rules for the snitch. Yeah, particular confines, like they can just go wherever the hell they want. They, as long as they stay within the arena that you're playing in, okay. it doesn't matter. Yeah, they can go sit up in the bleachers and just kind of mm-hmm. like blend in. It doesn't matter. That's. Wow. I feel like they'd be like, really hard. I, I don't, I didn't never saw a snitch get really far away, but like on a college campus, like, could you just be anywhere on the campus? Like if you're just playing in a field, could you be like parking lot? Bye. <laughs> no, uh, they, like I said, they have to stay in kind of the arena that you're playing in. But again, there's multiple games going on. So you have three running around oh, causing havoc. Yeah. Yeah, I've sorry. seen them with water balloons and just, <laughs> just deciding to, Basically, be Loki on the field, just like it. I like chaos, it. <laughs> which is the best part about watching those games. Yeah, it's an interesting game. It's a, a mix of a lot of real fun, intense <laughs> games all in one, but it makes way more sense in the books. I oh, agree yeah. with you there. <laughs> rules. There are <laughs> rules. <laughs> very, very important in a sport. Yes, it is. Yeah, like you said, it also gives everybody else a feeling like they're actually playing something because, folks, there's no way of knowing how she did that. Like 10 pages of Harry floating above everybody trying to find (laughs) the sparkly gold item. Yeah. Yeah, that seems about right. Yeah, that does check out. Well, I know in Arkansas, we had a team. It was, yeah, Hendrix College. It's a private Ivy League. Oh, no. For Long Beach College, it was just the Long Beach Funky Quaffles. It was a (laughs) city team. They were called the Funky Quaffles. (laughs) That's a good name. (laughs) The names of these teams are amazing. (laughs) I I would hope that we we watched a clip from the USA-Belgium game. I would hope that the Belgium team is called the Belgian Quaffles. Because that's just... (laughs) (laughs) If not... If they completely I, wasted the opportunity. Yeah. Oh. Yeah, they deserve to lose. <laughs> I'll I be Googling that later. <laughs> <laughs> At least it's something fun you can do with the books. There's a lot of like fantasy stuff, but it's just really fun that you can do something in real life. Be connected mm-hmm. to a book that means so much to so many people. Even with the author ruining it. <laughs> <laughs> it's true. Yeah. And a lot of people have opinions on that. Like you can still love the world. Because for the most of us, when we read it or watched the movies, what we got out of it is kind of different than what the book actually is. And oh yeah, no, I, yeah. I don't think just because just because the J.K. is bad doesn't mean like you have to flush all of your positive mm-hmm. memories and life experiences down the toilet. Yeah, like, if anything, it's just you know extra incentive to call out and and stand up to someone that did something that you love. Like it, it's it makes it harder, but it makes it more important to be able to say you know even though this person wrote these books that i love and created this or started the books that sparked a community that i love you know can't stand for it and thankfully i think what's really made the community what it is going forward has been 
the fans and not necessarily her. It's not like she's been doing a bunch of like, she's not throwing these conventions. Mm-hmm. No. And she's also ruining Canon. <laughs> <laughs> I, I think it really kept Harry Potter going past the last time a book came out. Yeah, Cause like none of the stuff has been like great. Like, yeah, the movies are, are nice, but not ideal, but like not many people are like love and curse child or the new book <laughs> or the new movies. Like I think that the fandom has really what kept it's going strong and i think that's why we're still in a place where even even with what jk has been doing you still have a strong community around it because people are standing up and pretty universally save for a few people like ray fines uh like pretty much all of the community like all the youtubers and fanfic authors and podcast hosts that i know like everyone has been pushing back which is really Mm -hmm. A lot of the things we learned from the books is, you know, standing up to oppression. And it's like, of course, we would be like, yeah, that's wrong. And we're going to hold you accountable. So it yeah, just it seems like it's on brand. And the pushback because the entire book series is about standing up for those that are, you know, unfairly mm-hmm. marginalized against. Yeah. Like, what a novel concept. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Y'all, let me tell you a story. So I got my cheese birdie in the mail. I got the coral. It's adorable. And I had my mace and I haven't used it in forever because it was really small and I didn't want to use everything inside of it, you know, because in case I needed it, I needed it to be ready to take some mace eyeballs out. Well, since I had my cheese birdie and I'm not going to be carrying the mace with me, I decided, let me see if I could shoot it and what would happen. Right. So I get it out, unlock the thingy majig, and I shoot it, and nothing happens. Everything inside of it had dried up. And I had been carrying that thing for a while now, thinking that I was safe and I was not <laughs> because I didn't get to test it like you can with the She's Birdie. With the She's Birdie, the battery can last over like 40 hours going straight. So it's going to last a really long time. And it makes me feel so much better knowing that I have something that I can test every once in a while without using all the contents and also knowing that it's going to work if I need it. And I felt so much safer going for my walks and, you know, people are scary. And so I just feel more confident knowing that if they walk too close or they, you know, follow me, I can just set this bad boy off and the whole neighborhood's going to hear it because it's 130 decibels. That is the same noise level as a jet engine 100 feet above your head. So she loud and also really bright has a strobe light. So if it's dark, it's going to bring more attention to yourself. I'm a big fan of this and I know that I feel safer. And like I mentioned before, I've been mugged. So safety to me is something that doesn't come easy. Just having this little bit of comfort and knowing that I have something and I am prepared has just given me a sense of relief that I didn't know I was missing. So if you would like to jump on the birdie train, get one of your own. I highly recommend Coral. She's cute. You can get 10% off with code historical AF if you go to she'sbirdie.com. Again, that is she'sbirdie.com. Promo code historical AF. All right. We ready to take a sharp turn into the bloody and morbid? <laughs> yes. So I'm going to do Morbid, and I, I'm 90% sure that I already talked about the Maya Ball game at some point, because I was going to do that, because I'm just obsessed with it. Lucky for me, there's another murderous game in history, the Gladiatorial Games in Rome. So a couple of weeks ago, I talked about Rome being a warrior state, and it had its imperial expansion, and of course, the intense, highly trained army that's just ready to fuck you up. So the discipline of the Roman army was notorious, And some might say quite murderous. If an army unit was judged disobedient or cowardly in battle, one soldier in 10 was selected by the lot and cudgeled to death by his former comrades. And I had to look that up. Cudgeled means beat with a cudgel. And a cudgel is a short, thick stick. Doesn't sound like the best way to go. Is it between 92 or 80? <laughs> <laughs> I just loved how specific it was. It is. Regulations that has to be made out of this. But just imagine it's your buddy that you've like trained with. You've been in battle and they're like, sorry, bud. <laughs> Got to cudgel you to death now. Dims the rules. <laughs> It might sound like a myth just to scare the new recruits and make them act right. But no, this actually happened and it's documented. It happened just enough where people knew it was happening, but not too much that it caused too much suspicion and somebody had to make it stop. So that's very also meticulous, too. If you knew just the right amount of people to mark out to not get in too much trouble. There's like a number. Yeah. yeah. 
So they justified this as, quote, Roman soldiers killing each other for their common good. Ah, okay. Yeah. So if they treat their fellow soldier like this, imagine what they do to the prisoners. Not great. After all, public executions helped them teach valor and put fear in the men and women and children that were left at home. And also children learn that this is what happens when soldiers are defeated or you're bad soldiers. All of Rome as a whole is being like, all right, we're not going to. We're not going to overstep our bounds here. And these public executions became rituals that helped maintain the atmosphere of violence, even when they were at peace. Bloodshed and slaughter joined military glory and conquest as central elements of Roman culture. Then, of course, you got to throw in some wild beasts in there, you know, for entertainment, naturally. And then you have your gladiatorial games. But now that we have this in context, it kind of makes sense, too, because, like, sometimes I think about Rome and I'm like, how did you get from, like, a to B to just like throwing people at lions and stuff. But if you think about the steady, their entire culture is built on this kind of violence that it makes sense that they'd be like, yeah, let's do this thing. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Every major civilization kind of had a form of this. Yeah, it's true. Humans the are. Had, the Maya had <laughs> games. My favorite thing about the Maya ball game is that the winner was sacrificed. Yeah. And it's, Yeah. It makes you think, you know, because you'd be like, would you try to lose? But then again, you didn't want to be a coward. It's wild. Well, I mean, winners were sacrificed. The prettiest woman was sacrificed. I mean, there was being excellent at anything in, you know, Aztec or Maya culture was just a way to die sooner. Yeah. Yeah. Their most handsome man was the guy who got his heart ripped out. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Mm-hmm. He got to live like a king for a year, though. Got all the ladies, all the food, all the booze, and then they just ripped his heart out and kicked him down the stairs. stairs. Okay. (laughs) I love Mesoamerican history so much. (laughs) So brutal. So with the accession of the first emperor, Augustus, in 31 BCE, the Roman state embarked on a long period of peace, the Pax Romana. For more than two centuries, thanks to its effective defense of the frontier armies, the inner core of Roman Empire was virtually insulated from the experience of war. Then, in memory of warrior traditions, Romans set up these artificial battlefields and cities for public amusement, and the customs spread all over their provinces. And I'm sure we've all nerded out over the Colosseum in Rome, but they had other giant amphitheaters like those in Verona, Arles, and Nimes, and they are all architectural monuments. Now I'm going to ruin it for you. So you see these pictures of the Colosseum. You're like, lovely. Now we're going to talk about all death, mm-hmm. all the death that happened in there. So they organized fights to the death between hundreds of gladiators there. They cheered on the masses as they executed unarmed criminals. And then they essentially slaughtered domestic and wild animals for funsies. That's, I think that's where you draw the line with me. I'm like, okay, people they're like, not the teddy bear. <laughs> don't, don't kill the hippo. Oh, I would not have a good time. I don't know. I think Wally might survive. It's true. My cat is a murderer. I love him. He's cute. But he just randomly shows up covered in blood and it's not his. And I don't know what's happening. It's uh, troubling. Okay. Yeah, that's, that's the word. I named him after Vlad the Impaler. So it's a perfect name choice. It is. <laughs> in ancient times, amphitheaters must have towered over cities, kind of like cathedrals do in medieval towns. The Colosseum in Rome, for example, was the biggest amphitheater in the world. It's enormous. It was built between 72 CE and 80 under Emperor Vespasian. And the Colosseum finds its location in the heart of Rome. It was named after the Flavian dynasty of emperors that had Vespasian, Titus, and Domitian. And the Colosseum was initially known as the Flavian Amphitheater. The Colosseum was built on the site of Nero's Domus Aurea or the Golden House, which included sweeping gardens and huge artificial lakes, which, fun facts today, it's still like a botanical garden. Some of the things that grow in the Colosseum and around it are just very rare, and they uh, use it as like an agricultural sanctuary now. That's That's pretty cool. Around 6980, the site was cleared to make way for a great new structure and other buildings, such as the schools for gladiators. The Colosseum speaks for ordinary people of Rome rather than to glorify emperors and their achievements. So people were into that. At the topmost point of it, it is 157 feet, which is the equivalent of a 14 to 15 story building. I keep forgetting how like massive some of these things are. Mm-hmm. And that's 48 meters for non-Americans out there. So at the base, it is six acres in length. 
thing's enormous. Like, I know that pictures make it look big, but I don't think I comprehended how enormous this is. I've been there twice. It's gigantic. It's wow. very, very large. It's, it's big, though not as big as they make it seem in the Lizzie McGuire movie. They, just, <laughs> they, add, they add even more acres when they show you the crowd shot in that one. <laughs> and it's 615 feet wide. And it's elliptical rather than circular. And the perimeter of the Coliseum is 1,788 feet. And that's 545 meters. It's just crazy. And then the walls of the arena part is 15 feet tall. Four-storied structures with terraces and facades. And it even had lifts built into it so they could bring the gladiators up into the main arena. And it had 80 entrances, which made it easier for them to last my people. So at any given time, it could have 50,000 viewers in this Coliseum. God, that gives me anxiety now after being trapped inside for so long. Uh, it's it's hard. It's hard even even if I'm watching replays of an old sports game. I'm like, ah, there's so many of you. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I almost had an anxiety attack going to get my vaccine. Mm. So I'm standing outside separated from people, but there, I'm still outside with people. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And even like double masked, I'm like, you're too close. <laughs> Please go oh, away. Same. They have a coliseum in my city. That's where they had all the shots at. But yeah, they. it was still very nerve wracking to be in a room with that many people. I mean, they had us all spaced out, but I was like, I don't like this. I'm going to go to my car. I didn't like it. <laughs> I wonder if we'll ever feel comfortable in large crowds again. I know eventually it'll kind of wear off, but I'm sure in the back of all of our minds, we'll remember <laughs> what it was like. After four centuries of active use, people were unaware of who had actually built the amphitheater. And it was assumed that Vespasian had appointed government employees to work on the project. But historians have discovered and they are trying to make it more of like a common knowledge in history that his son Titus actually brought in 6,000 Jewish slaves to build oh, this. No way. You don't say. Yeah. And that's what. what coming. Right. <laughs> It blows my mind if you think like old books, people never mention the slavery aspect. I think people try to just like skirt past it so they're not uncomfortable. Yeah. If 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 a book ever says we don't know who built this thing, the answer is pretty clear. Yes, absolutely. And they work day and night. And there's actually a relief sculpture in the Arch Mm. of Titus that shows a Medora from Jerusalem. So to this day, the Talmud prohibits Jews from walking beneath this arch. That hurt my brain. I know. God, Jewish people have just, they've seen so much shit. And it just like every bit of history just does not throw them a bone. <laughs> just, it's insane. The enormous size of the amphitheaters indicates how popular these exhibitions were. The Colosseum was dedicated in the year 80 with 100 days of games. One day, 3,000 men fought on another 9,000 animals were killed. Ugh, my heart. Much of our evidence suggests that gladiatorial contests were by origin closely connected with funerals. So there was a Christian critic, Tertullian, and at the end of the second century CE, men believed that the souls of the dead were placated by human blood. And so at funerals, they sacrificed prisoners of war or slaves of poor quality. This is a quote. I should have said that because I would never say poor quality Uh, bought for the purpose. History is such a son of a bitch. The Coliseum had to just smell terrible, right? <laughs> yeah. Horrendous. There's yeah, no way. Like so... 9,000 people and animals dying. Like that had to smell so bad. Yeah. And it's pretty hot there. I mean, the sun is pretty brutal. I can't, uh, I can't imagine just the boiling blood. I mean, it's just puddles everywhere. It's... Huh? No, thank you. So in 65 BCE, for example, Julius Caesar gave elaborate funeral games for his father involving 640 gladiators and condemned criminals who were forced to fight with wild beasts. And then his next games in 46 BCE in the memory of his dead daughter and celebration of his recent triumphs in Egypt and Gaul. He presented not only customary fights between individual gladiators, but fights between whole detachments of infantry and squadrons and cavalry. And they included animals this time as big as elephants. No. Why? That is up there with the freaking Edison fact. Oh, yeah, that was not great. Like I said, some of the contestants were gladiators that were professionals and trained their whole lives. Others were prisoners of war and others were criminals condemned to death. The majority of gladiators were slaves that were taught how to fight since they were children, but not all gladiators were slaves. Some were men that were kind of lured in by the thrill of battle, 
you know, they could have been ex-soldiers that just kind of missed being able to fight. And then there were also like upper class men that were like, that looks cool. I want to be a badass. So what would be serial killers now? Probably. Your your token sociopaths. Well, I mean, I guess an outlet for it. But eventually the ritualistic tones and the funerary aspects of the games kind of were overshadowed by the political parts of it and the spectacle. The games at Rome provided the stage for the emperor to display his powers and kind of strut his stuff. And here's a quote from History Today. When gladiators fell, the crowd would shout for mercy or dispatch. The emperor may be swayed by their shouts or gestures, but he alone, the final arbiter, decided who was to live or die. When the emperor entered the amphitheater or decided the fate of the fallen gladiator by the movement of his hand, at that moment, he had 50,000 courtiers. He knew that he was a Caesar imperator, the foremost of men. That also means that not everybody died. So he did give mercy because they really trained these gladiators. They were celebrities, if you will. So they're not going to kill them every single time. That's Well, that's good. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and then he gets to see like he's a kind and forgiving Lord for letting you live. You can fight another day. Oh, gladiator. You can die tomorrow. Yeah. It was like a princess bride. Most likely kill you tomorrow. <laughs> and this worked out for a lot of emperors. And then it really didn't for other ones. Sometimes the crowds were just already pissed. Like if you had, you know, hiked up the price of weed or you demanded the execution of a official they liked. So Little Boots, a.k.a. Caligula, once reacted really badly to a poor crowd. And he actually ordered the soldiers to go into the crowd and just start executing anybody that was yelling. Oh, not great. Not ideal. <laughs> no. God damn it, Little Boots. Yeah. And if you guys haven't listened to like episode what two uh caligula little literally means little boots <laughs> it's my favorite historical fact yep. god it's just so funny that's probably why he was so pissed all the time everybody just making fun of him him and his little boots so gladiators became celebrities of a sort they were cultural heroes but i guess like fame today it was kind of short-lived except unlike today they were kind of murdered mm. in front of thousands of screaming fans it'd be like reality show like really dark today but they had their portraits painted. They would be on walls like posters. And they even found merch. So in Pompeii, they found a baby bottle that had a gladiator stamped on it. That's cool. Right? Like that's even awesome. baby bottles had merch on it. Let's go. That's awesome. Merch. That's so cool. They found lots of stuff like that. They found just people had collectibles with their favorite gladiators. And they assume, historians assume, that this symbolized the hope that the baby would be uh, strong like a gladiator and have courage when they were older. So I just found that adorable. <laughs> and then speaking of content. Water bottles so that they grow up. Yeah. That made me way too happy to think about even back then. They're like, let's sell some merch. That's so Put my face on that. And then also Pompeii really delivers. And this was an unintentional dick joke, but dick joke nonetheless. The Latin word for sword, gladius, was vulgarly used to mean penis. Oh, yeah. And the, the Latin word for sheath is vagina, but yeah. it's differently. But yeah, yeah. this is one of the first things you do. Flip to the back uh, where it's got all the translations and you look for funny words. And that was yep. like first. Absolutely. And there's several artifacts that suggest this association, including this one, a small bronze figurine from Pompeii that depicts a gladiator fighting off with his sword, a dog-like beast that is growing out of his erect and elongated penis. And I'm going to show that to you now. You're welcome. It'll be fun. I had to do a Google. I was like, how does that work? (laughs) Okay. It's, better than i ever imagined it also has five bells that are hanging off of it so this would be like a wind chime <laughs> worst wind chime ever just when you think wind chimes can't get any worse <laughs> honestly this is still not as nightmare inducing as the medieval cats so oh that's true <laughs> oh man so they say like interpretation is very speculative here but it does kind of suggest that there's some kind of link between romans and you know gladiators fighting and sexuality and most people agree that gladiators were kind of sex symbols of a sort mm-hmm. women would wear hairpins and jewelry that were dipped in gladiator blood or sweat uh, 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 
which, by the way, sweat was considered an aphrodisiac. Only the gladiator sweat. Ugh. Not just everybody's sweat. And then they would put that in their face creams and oh. their makeup. Oh. 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 Uh, I hope you guys weren't planning to have lunch after this. Thankfully, I had it before. <laughs> it's still yeah. breakfast time for me, so... I don't know if you guys ever watched Spartacus, but it does show them like in the sweat things and they're scraping yeah. the sweat off of them. Yeah. Nope. Gross. Nope. 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 So we have gladiatorial games, animal hunts, and then the reenactment of battles. But we also have evidence that they tried to flood the arenas for mock sea battles. And they didn't do it very often. There's only about four ish instances of people saying they did this because I, I'm sure it's a bitch to coordinate. Mm-hmm. whatever so in 80 the year 80 the roman ruler titus demanded that the amphitheater be flooded and he ordered flat bottom boats to be made nobody knows exactly how they did it but they had been like tiny little boats because otherwise this wasn't gonna work and it had to be something that they could do in shallower water and it's another one of those arguments some historians were like this didn't actually happen people said it did and some other historians were like well it probably happened it just wasn't this grand affair that they wrote it to be it's still probably really impressive for them back then yeah 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 yeah. i would imagine most people would probably never see something that extravagant in their lives the principal battle at the coliseum involved three thousand warriors and it acted out a fight between athens and syracuse there was even a fake island built in the arena where they would like land on the island and fight each other i've heard about this one yeah yeah. (laughs) and the last one that's recorded was in 89 ce and it was organized by the emperor Domitian. Domitian? I think it's Domitian. I don't know. Why can't I figure out that word? I think that's how you say it usually. Domitian. Uh, yeah. We're going to just say that's it. Apologies to Rome. <laughs> the Valerium, a type of Roman awning, was used to protect the spectators from scorching sun, which I thought that was nice. I got a little visor for them so they can enjoy themselves. Yeah, the sun won't kill them. Just angry emperor will. <laughs> It had a lot of underground passages and rooms for holding wild animals and gladiators. And it had 36 trap doors for special effects. Love Do they that. let you see that stuff when you visit? Do you yes. get to go in? Oh, basically, like the whole floor is just like not there anymore because it was just like a layer of wood. And then they would put like sand or dirt on it. So you can see all underneath. And it's just like some of the walls are still intact. So, yeah, it looks like a whole maze under there. But it was a mix of like storage things, walkways, and then unfortunately, like jail cells as well. Mm-hmm. But, yeah, like all under the floor was an entire, you know like real system that they use for a whole bunch of stuff, which is pretty surprising. The first time you see it, you assume it's just going to be like the ground. Yeah. Like basement level of stuff. That's so cool. I can't wait to go there someday. And another cool thing is that the Romans got to go for free and they often got free food and, you know, drinks and stuff. Oh, hell yeah. I would. So, I mean, it was a, a way for the emperor to make everybody love him. Like here. I'm giving you this free dinner and a show. Not, not to defend the guy for killing the crowd, but I can <laughs> understand being upset when you've just, you know, gotten 50,000 people free admission and free <laughs> food and they get mad at you. It's like, hey, I'm giving free murder and free snacks. The least you could do is keep your comments to yourself. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. And I mean, he had a short fuse to begin with, so it's understandable that. That's I mean, he he's a grown man being called Little Boots, so <laughs> who wouldn't have a short fuse at that point? Yeah, his like uh, most trusted advisor was a horse. Oh, not ideal. <laughs> yeah, he made him a senator. It was good, good times. I forgot Wait, about the horse. Awesome! <laughs> <laughs> what a power move! Oh, for- it really is. <laughs> My horse, hell yeah, that's awesome. <laughs> Oh, and another fun fact, women could be gladiators. So modern historians call them gladiatrix. It was uncommon, but they did exist. And evidence suggests that a number of women participated in public games in Rome. And some of them were actually women of higher class. They're depicted wearing like lots of jewelry and dressing really well. And at some point, there must have been enough of them. They were trying to regulate that through legislation. So that's pretty interesting. Honestly, that seems like a better deal than being married off at 14. Yeah. And a lot of it was like women wanted independence and this was a way to do it. And a lot of times, you know, the financial rewards would be able to buy them out of any kind of debt or any kind of like slavery. And then 
it's also shown that they were honored as highly as their male counterparts. That's okay. pretty cool. So right. as long as you're entertaining and you're good at killing people. <laughs> you don't have the same people in death battles. <laughs> <laughs> and I saw one of them's name was like, they called her the Amazon. I thought that was pretty cool. Ooh. Give me big Wonder Woman vibes. Yeah, right. That's what I was thinking. And the big cats like lions and tigers, along with other wild animals like rhinos, crocodiles and bears were brought all over from the entire world. Can you imagine how hard that would be? Because I've heard stories like the first, I think it was a hippo that Europe ever saw. It took like 100 men in Egypt to try to catch that thing to get it to Europe. And That is the deadliest animal on land. It is. Yeah, they're terrifying. I would not want to fuck with one of those, but they kill more people in Africa than any other animal. Really? Yes. I know that. They're super territorial and they will just end uh, you. <laughs> several ton animal just yeah. you're 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 a bug on the windshield. True. Mm-hmm. Yeah. They're very cute. We got a little baby one in San Antonio and I just I just love him. They're um, just so hungry. <laughs> <laughs> oh. Totally off topic, but there's like a baby hippo in San Antonio. And I think there's one, I think it's Memphis. Mm-hmm. Anyway, so <clears throat> the one here's name is Timothy and the one in Memphis is Fiona. And he sends her like love letters. The zookeepers do, but it's from him. So like he'll send her edible arrangements and love letters. Amazing. <laughs> it's adorable. We so need- they're courting, hoping to like... <laughs> I guess. Read I, like, them later? What? Yeah. So like Valentine's Day and Christmas, they like send each other gifts. Okay. Each other. But That's adorable. <laughs> but in 2020, everybody was so depressed. We were all like, yes, it's beautiful. Give True. me some joy. <laughs> it was actually more uncommon for gladiators to fight these animals than most people think. It was kind of a shitty job. And it was reserved for people called venators or bestiaria, bestiariari, something. <laughs> I don't know Latin. And they were a special class of warriors that dealt with the animals. Anything from like a deer to a hippo or elephant. But they're like celebrity gladiators are most likely going to be fighting each other. And then also like criminals. And while most animals were merely slaughtered for sport, others were trained to do tricks. So I guess that's kind of cool. <laughs> Something that's not horrible. Yeah. Or, and then like the next sentence. Were, or they were pitted against each other in fights where they had animal on animal. So... A little up, down, down, <laughs> all over the place. Wild animals also served a popular form of execution. Convicted criminals and Christians were often thrown to ravenous dogs, lions, and bears as part of their entertainment. Ooh. Oh, history. <laughs> Hosting gladiator games was an easy way for Roman emperors to win the love of the people. But if you took it a step further and actually tried to participate in combat themselves, be like, look how heroic I am. And, uh, I, I'm just wondering, it like somebody accidentally drew blood. What the fuck happened to them? Right, oh, murdered, hundred percent. Yeah. Well, I'm, yeah. I'm wondering how they did it. Was it like the guard uh, behind them just came up behind them and like shanked them, or did they have to hold still while the emperor took them out? Probably wasn't pretty. Yeah, they probably just had to stand there and take it and just wait for them. And, of course, these were very highly controlled conditions with dull blades, but I'm sure somebody could accidentally, you know, kick some dirt in his eye and he would be like, and you're done. Die now. (laughs) But, of course, it was people like Caligula and Titus and Hadrian that were doing this. So I'm not shocked about Little Boots at all. Of course he is a little sociopath. Of course he would, like, cheer for me. I am a hero. As a consequence of all these games, 400,000 people died. That is a lot, a lot of people. That's awful. And it's estimated that over a million wild animals died. Oh, God. It's just too many, too many. And all the dead bodies were taken out through the west exit that's now known as the Gate of Death towards the setting sun. And because of the dark reputation, even in the Middle Ages... Criminals and victims of crimes and, you know, disease were also dumped in those areas, too. And even if gladiators were free or noble by origin, they were in some sense contaminated by their close contact with death. Kind of like a suicide, gladiators were in some places excluded from normal burial grounds. So imagine that you're forced into doing this your whole life. And they're like, you're a celebrity. And then you die. And they're like, but you're not good enough to be in a cemetery. Uh, It sucks. They need to haunt them. 
If no. haunting is real, uh-huh. they should be haunting those places. So in a sense, they were both glorified and degraded, which just sucks. And not everybody really dug all the stabbing. Philosophers and later Christians disapproved very strongly. Didn't really work. But, you know, you think people are like, oh, don't do that. That's disgusting. Why is everybody supporting this? Well, there's a lot of instances, including this one. St. Augustine, in his confessions, tells of a story of a Christian who was reluctant to go to one of these games. And his friends made him go. And he said at first he kept his eyes shut. And then he heard the crowd roar and he opened them and he became converted by the sight of blood into an eager devotee of the gladiatorial games. So people are like, I didn't want to do it. But then I just saw it. And then I was hooked. You can't blame me. I was reluctant. But by 435 CE, the gladiator contests were stopped, but the animal hunts didn't stop until 532. Oh, come on, 100 years? Yeah. Freaking A, it's so long. And like, why can't you just bring all those animals in and make a zoo? I don't know less if zoos were any better. I mean, Probably animal, not. But. Animal trick things would be cool. Like, yeah. I, check out this, you know, this deer. It does flips. We're like, hell yeah, sign me up. <laughs> Why wasn't it just like animal races? That would have been way more fun. Yeah. Like, Maximus, they did charity races and all that kind of stuff like that. So like, if it was just... I don't know, athletic competitions between people and animals that it would have been. I would much rather see people do feats of strength than each other or animals, whatever. Absolutely. I agree. And it must have been so much money and work to just constantly be bringing these animals in. If you could just kept a few, taught them to do some cool stuff. Yeah. Your, Mm -hmm. your cost of running the games is a lot less if you don't have to keep buying and bringing in new animals. Exactly. I didn't think about that because it would have taken years for them to get these animals from certain places. Yeah. And I was reading some things where like, even though there's probably way more of these animals in those areas, it was still really hard to catch them. Mm-hmm. They're not just going to willingly jump in your boat. Oh, yeah. Okay, cool. Yeah, sure. <laughs> yeah. I'll be there in a second. <laughs> Hope there's snacks. So Roman interest in the games began to fade and the Western Roman Empire faced the fall and the Colosseum structure actually kind of declined it was a mixture of storms lightning earthquakes and fire that contributed to the eventual ruin of the coliseum storms and fire damage to the structure was pretty bad but it was an earthquake that finally caused the upper parts of the stories to begin to fall on the southern wall and though seriously damaged by two earthquakes in the fifth century it was thought that the coliseum remained more or less intact until the sixth century when an earthquake in 847 in 1231 caused most of the structure to fall And the Colosseum lost nearly two-thirds of its original size by the 20th century. But there was a restoration project that launched in 1990 that is trying to repair it and bring it back to a grandeur. Mm. I'm sure that will be a a long process. Because it's made out of the Roman concrete, right? Yeah, I mean, the ones that are still there are all the ones that are just like stone. Um, And I know the past two times I've been there, they've been doing some sort of repairs. I don't know exactly like what they're, what they're doing, but like, there's definitely been like a significant amount of restoration construction. The, the times that I was there a couple years back. So yeah, it'll be interesting to see what they do with it, but now it's, it is very for what's left. It's like really well kept and surprising. Like how long that thing is held up. Yeah. Yeah. Well, another concrete is, nobody's been able to make something that strong i'll have to look into that more how they're gonna do the restoration i imagine that the first step is just reinforcing everything mm-hmm. for like the future and then they'll start yeah, trying to rebuild what they're doing is like trying to make sure it doesn't fall mm-hmm. <laughs> but it'd be interesting how to rebuild something that we don't know how to make that concrete so i don't know but yeah the romans figured it out because like the roads are still they exist all over the world and it just blows my mind that you can walk on a roman street that looks probably what it did when they built it it's wild crazy like france which is blowing my mind because i never knew that there's a roman bath underneath notre dame de paris oh and like yeah, yeah. so you can like go underneath it and you're in a roman bath and yeah the roads it's, it's wild when you go into a building that is older than your country like yeah. Yeah, the building was built in 1500 you're like oh tight <laughs> <laughs> i went into chapel that was built in like 1119 <laughs> when i was in scotland and then when i was in ireland we went into we had lunch at a pub that was built in 1098 oh wow, wow. and the, 
<laughs> they're like, we're the oldest pub in Ireland. And then you go to another place and they're like, no, we're the oldest pub in Ireland. Yeah. <laughs> That's crazy. We had a guest a couple of weeks ago. They live in Jerusalem and they live in Old Town. Mm-hmm. So they talked about how they came over here and their daughter was in like Gettysburg or something. And they were like, this is one of the oldest houses in the US, blah, blah, blah. And she's like, oh, how old? And they said like 18 something. And she just rolled her eyes. <laughs> <laughs> like Jerusalem is so ancient that they live next to things that are just older than I can comprehend. Well, didn't they say like the wall in their backyard was uh, from like 400? Yeah, I think. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> they discovered a wall. And yeah, it was first century Jesus time. <laughs> like that's insane. <laughs> Wild. I can't imagine. I would be just mouth agape geeking out in a town that's that old and just everything is ancient there. That's crazy to me. Mm-hmm. What's well, the same with Rome. Everything is so old and so much different kinds of history all over the place. Definitely want to go. You'll get there one day. And when you're there, Someday. there's a pizza place near the Vatican called Pizza Zitza, which is a silly name, but it is like, it's the best pizza that I had in Italy. It is so damn good. I cannot recommend Pizza Zitza enough. And it's not <laughs> like when I was picking places, it had like a billion reviews. And I was like, this place with the silly name has good reviews. It's divine. <laughs> very, very good stuff. Adding that to my bucket list. <laughs> really good. Uh, well, thank you so much for joining me. This has been so much fun. Thanks for having me. You're welcome. Plug all your stuff again for everybody so they know how to find you. Yeah, I mean, if you want to find all the stuff, I have my personal website is just, it's Shubes, so S-C-H-U-B dot E-S, and you can find everything there. And again, if you want to help with that Kickstarter, you can go to modernmuck.com or bit.ly slash modernmuckraker. Awesome. I'm really excited for you. And there'll be a link in the show notes to click. Go straight there. Do that now. One, two, three, go. Thanks again. Right. For me. This was nice a, to meet you. Fun time. Yeah, nice to meet you both as well. It was fun. You guys have a good day. You too. I want to thank my guests, Michael Schubert and Dion again for joining me. I had such a great time. It was so fun to chat about gladiators and Quidditch with y'all, which is a natural pairing. Am I right? If you'd like to watch this episode and future episodes live, you can join Patreon at patreon.com slash historical AF pod. And there's so many other benefits besides watching live. You get things in the mail. You can get merch. You can join movie nights and game nights and be a part of our badass Discord server or Facebook group. There's just so many benefits. So if you go to patreon.com slash historical AF pod, it has all the tiers there. You can see what you can get and then join the fam. That's what we are. We're a fam, and it's amazing. Speaking of fam, I have shout outs. I'm so excited to welcome Nick to the Patreon fam. He started out as a fierce AF patron, then went to majestic AF patron, and then last night went up to brilliant AF patron. I am just blown away by just how amazing you are and how funny. You'll know him soon. He sent in some hilarious listener stories, and I can't wait for you to hear them. It all started from Lucy from Wine and Crime, Medieval Cat Buttholes, and an unfortunate laugh fart in front of a cop. But now, you're part of the fam, and I'm just so excited. (laughs) It has been an absolute delight to get to know you so far, and just can't wait for the future! I'm also not convinced that you're not psychic or some sort of witch, because (laughs) I had some really shit-tastic days last month, And both those days, I got something in the P.O. box from you, and it completely made my day, maybe made me cry a little. I'm so thankful that you found the podcast, and it's just been a joy. I also want to send out a huge shout out to Allison. She is also a brilliant AF member and the first member of the fam from Australia. I am so excited. Like, I genuinely feel like Texas and Australia have a lot in common. And I think we would get along. I think we can hang. And if I can ever get my way to Australia, she has offered to give me some really cool spooky tours. And I am here for it. (laughs) So much so. I do have my reservations of all the things that can try to eat you and kill you in Australia. But I think I could put those aside for the experience. Just please don't let me come in contact with snakes. Please and thank you. I'm so excited to get to know you, Allison, and it's been a joy so far. And thank you so much for the support and just for being all around amazing. 
If you have a story you would like for us to read on the listener's episode, send that in to historicalafpod at gmail.com. I'm looking for spooky. I'm looking for morbid. I'm looking for some cool history shit. Whatever you got. Family history? Want it. Weird town legend? Also want it. Unfortunate experience with a Ouija board? Absolutely want it. Again, that is historicalafpod at gmail.com. And if you'd like to buy some merch, go to shop.spreadshirt.com slash historicalafpod. There are new designs, including a solid Rasputin dick joke. I'm so proud of it. You can also go to etsy.com slash shop slash Kina's creations. And that's creations with the K. And there you can find things that you can't find on the merch shop, like wine glasses, beer glasses, koozies, and a whole lot more is about to go up on there as well. And as always, you can follow social media at Historical AF Pod on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram. And if you would like to just see me nerd out, talk about history, a lot of dog videos, go to my TikTok. That's at Kina Leanne. If you'd like to rate and review the podcast on Apple Podcasts or Podchaser, please do so. It helps a lot. Like I've said before, you know, sometimes people get angry at me because I'm a... Um, what they call me a crazy liberal snowflake brainwashed something something anyhow they like to throw one stars at me all the time so your higher ratings definitely do help balance out the trolls so i would appreciate that and this month all through april if you rate on podchaser they donate a quarter to meals on wheels so it's definitely a good cause they count total podcast ratings and you can rate each individual episode as well So if you want to do some good and help me out, that's one way to do it. Thank you guys so much for listening. I adore each and every single one of you. I'll see you next week for for Games Part 3 with special guest Jolly J. Okay, bye! Do you enjoy science, spooky stories, and all things paranormal? We do too. While we would love for most paranormal stories to be true, we are here to tell you that they probably aren't. But that doesn't make them any less fun to speculate about. We are the Spooky Science Sisters podcast. In this podcast, we bring you bi-weekly discussions on possible scientific explanations behind the supernatural. Backed up by research articles and other credible sources, we do deep dives into things like archaeology and physics and share in-depth discussions with topic experts. Visit us at SpookyScienceSisters.com to listen to a couple of skeptics debunk some of your favorite alien encounters, cryptid sightings, and ghost stories with science, sass, and a significant amount of laughter. Thank you and stay spooky.